take your Bibles and turn to the scriptures you see on the screen. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. We're getting ready for a series of meetings that we call revival. That's what we call it in the South. We don't know whether revival will break out or not. They're revival services. They're revival efforts. If you notice over my left shoulder, it's on the right side of the screen up there, our core beliefs. Number one is the Bible is our guidebook. It's our guidebook because it it takes care of us in our time of need. It takes care of us in our time of blessing. It teaches us how to live. When we hurt, it helps. When we need to make decisions, it guides us. We need to think about the future. It informs us and instructs us about the possible outcomes. Last year, we began a series through the book of the Revelation. Do y'all remember us doing that last fall? The Revelation, and we made it through chapter 1 and chapter 2. Now, I'm going to remind you that in chapter 1, we got a real picture of Jesus. In chapter 2, we studied four churches. And they... Just to refresh your memory, because I know that you may not remember quite everything I say, we started with a with a careless church in Ephesus. He's having some problems up there. We started with a careless church in Ephesus, and then we had the confronted church in Smyrna, and then we had then we had the uh, um, uh, I just lost my train of thought. Then we had the the church in uh, uh, Pergamum, which was the compromised church. And then we ended with a church in Thyatira, which is the corrupted church. Now, I want to tell you, as I prayed about leading us toward revival effort, I hope our young people, I hope what we've seen today has been the beginnings of revival in your life. But we need the same thing, adults. And if we're going to sing something like, whatever, I want to make room for you to to do whatever you want to do, it requires a change. Now, in the days ahead, in the three weeks that are coming, we're going to be in chapter 3 of Revelation, where we're going to see three more churches. We're going to see the church at Sardis, the church at Philadelphia, and the church at Laodicea. Church at Sardis is the comfortable church. The church at Philadelphia is the consistent church. The church at Laodicea is the complacent church. Today we go to Sardis. You can run that forward if you will, Jacob. You'll forgive us today. He came in uh, and, and got ready for this this morning. The church at Sardis, go ahead forward, go ahead forward. The, the church at Sardis is what we're calling today the comfortable church. If God is going to send revival, we need to learn from these seven churches. There are things that we learn, things not to do, things to do, things not to be about, things to be about. So if you will, if you found Revelation chapter 3, Would you stand to honor the reading of God's holy word? We pick up, and this is indeed God's word. Jesus is saying to John, he says, Write 
to the angel of the church in Sardis. Thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die. For I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you are not alert, I will come like a thief. And you have no idea at what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes. And they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. In the same way, the one who conquers, most translations say, overcomes, will be dressed in white clothes and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, my prayer all morning has been that you would open our eyes, you would open our minds. And as our young people have done this morning through music, that you would open our hearts to the truth that you want to pour into us, to the renewal that you want to give to us. Lord, be close to us in the minutes ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. He who has an ear to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. He says a lot of things to all the churches, and certainly we learn from that. I'm just going to tell you, the letter to Sardis is startling. It's startling. And yet it's informative and instructive for us in the 21st century, call them the comfortable church because they felt like they were doing so well. Let's just jump into it. I'm just going to give you a few truths that we need to, to see in our hearts and lives. The first one that I, I want you to see the condition, the condition of this church, the condition of the church. Now, I find the condition of this church in two statements. But before I, before I go to those statements, let me just remind you of who is speaking this. It is the one that has the seven spirits of God in one hand and the seven stars in the other hand. Do you remember that from chapter 1? Do you remember that the number seven means full? It means complete. It means all there is. So we take from that. 
that in one hand he has the seven spirits of God. That means he has the full, complete power and authority of the Spirit of God in one hand. And in the other hand he has seven stars. The full, all the churches. Those seven churches represent every church that's ever been who is a gospel church. So the one who is giving this message is the one who has the Spirit, has the authority, has the power, and, and he is the one that holds the churches in their in his hands. The two statements there is that pesky four little word four word phrase that says, I know your works. That's the condition of every church. I know your works. And then he goes on and he says, and you have a reputation. A reputation of being alive. You know, the, the truth is, if, if, I, if I pull this together, I will tell you that when he says, I know, it's not just your works. It's your works, it's your deeds, your thoughts, your attitudes, your acts. He knows it all. He got the goods on you. You, you and I cannot hide from him. This church couldn't hide from him. He knows it all. He knows the good. He knows the bad. He knows the ugly. He knows who you are. And in light of that truth, he says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're really dead. Now, when he says you have a reputation of being alive, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? That's people saying things are good. Come on. Come on. Things are good. If Sardis had been a 21st century church. Listen to this, kids. You don't like this. If Sardis had been a 21st century church, this is what would have been said about them. They have the best. And you can fill in the blank. They have the best worship ministry. They have the best youth ministry. They have the best music ministry. They have the best women's ministry. They have the best men's ministry. They have the best Sunday school. They have the best cooks. They have the best fellowship. They have the best buildings. That would have been Sardis in 21st century. They were the happening church. They were the cool place to be. They were the wonderful place to go. They were the fresh. They had the fresh. They had the, the old. They had the new. They had the young. They had the best. If somebody asked in town, where should I go to church? They would have heard, go to Sardis. It's happening there, man. They're alive. That was a reputation. Now, before you think, before I pass this and you think reputation doesn't matter, I'm saying that reputation doesn't matter. We need to know in this building, in our membership, that if the church is going to be a Jesus church, a gospel church, a Bible church, reputation matters. Reputation matters. One thing about reputation, it's not something you put on a billboard. It's not something you put on a flyer. It's not something you can talk about. It's not something you can talk your way into. It's something people knows you for. Reputation matters. And why does it matter? It matters because whether people will attend or whether people will listen, It's tied up in this thing of reputation. There are people in churches today, 
that will not be heard when they speak about Jesus because of their reputation. At the same time, Sardis tells us that reputation is not enough. There has to be some substance. You know, they had a good reputation, but Jesus knew the truth about them. He knew what was hid under the couch. He knew what was hid under the blanket. He knew what was hid under the pew. He knew what was hid in hearts. And he says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. And they were really proud of having that reputation. That brings us to the second truth. The confusion in the church. This is a church that was confused and didn't know they were confused. They had a reputation of being alive, and they thought that was good enough. But Jesus said, you got the reputation, but the truth is, you're dead. That tells me that they were confused about their guidelines. That tells me they were confused about their goal. That tells me they were confused about God. That tells me they were confused about the business they were in. The business they were in. You know, they had become comfortable with their situation, how they had allowed it to develop, and they had lost their spiritual way, and they had lost their spiritual focus. Have you ever sat and prayed, meditated, about what business we're in? You know, it's important. To know what business you're in. In fact, the business group guru, Peter Drucker, used to ask his, his trainee, when he would do his seminars, he'd ask them two questions. Let's just take it one at a time. The first question is, what business are you in? What business are we really in? Are we just in the business of taking care of kids? I love the song we're talking about. I don't remember the words exactly, but about not your tradition and not your religion. I read this week that Bonhoeffer in Germany wanted us to have Christianity with no religion. Because religion will kill. What business are you in? We're not in tradition business. We're not in religion business. What business are we? Have you, ever, have you ever really given that some thought about the business of Jesus' church? By the way, he set up the business guidelines. When Drucker asked his his um, mentees, those guys he was teaching this, he was trying to refocus them because this is what Drucker knew, is that it's easy to be in a place a long time, no matter what your business is, and get out of focus. Start majoring on, start getting in the weeds and majoring on other things. But then he would follow it up with a second question. He would ask, how's business? What business are you in? And how's business? And I will give you a prime example from the business world. In the mid to, in the early to mid 1900s, those guys that ran the railroad when it was in its boom, they thought they were in the railroad business. Almost too late, they discovered that they were in the transportation business. It brings me back to what business we are in. Are we in the soul business? Are we in the kingdom business? The comfortable church of Sardis was not in that business. 
And I will say this to you, it's easy to get comfortable. But I want to give you this, this comment. Being comfortable is a dangerous place. Being comfortable is in a dangerous place. Because you lose awareness of what's going on around you. I'm going to give you a silly illustration. Most of the husbands and wives will identify with it. <clears throat> Many years ago, I bought one of those, we bought one of those old, big old strata lounger recliners. Who in here ever had a strata lounger recliner? Nobody, okay? But you had a big recliner. We had a big recliner, and whoever made that recliner, it must have been the same company that made my dad's recliner, because our two chairs had something in common. When they designed those recliners, in the fabric of those recliners, they put a drug. And that was the kind of drug, quit laughing, Ken, that, that drug, would, when you sat down in it, would be absorbed through your skin, and you'd be out like a light. Now, you had that recliner now. I can see Ken's turn, face turning red. Out like a light. And you know, it was comfortable. Man, it was comfortable. And so when we, when we get comfortable, we just go out. And you know what? And you'd appreciate the Watts family for this. When you're out like a light, they can do a lot of weird stuff to you, and you don't know what's going on. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Toothpaste? Shaving cream? You don't have an idea what's going on. And you see, the same thing is true in God's church. When we get comfortable... When our focus becomes just being comfortable, more than following Christ, more than sharing His mission, more than telling the world, you know what? Everything goes out upside down. And when everything goes upside down in a church, you continue to do things. And you do it for your comfort. You do it for your convenience. When I see that and I read these six verses about Sardis, it's exactly what happened to them. And I'm afraid it's happened to the church in America. Gotten so comfortable that we've lost our first love, that we've left, we've abandoned. And the, and the focus has changed and we've become, if we get comfortable enough, we just kind of go off in la-la land. If people go to hell, it's no big deal. As long as we have whatever we have. Years ago I wrote, read a story about a church closing. I believe it was in St. Louis, but it could have been someplace else. I tried to actually find the picture, and I could not. But on the front door of the church building that was closing was a sign. Going out of business. Forgot what our business was. You see, by the world standards, Sardis was alive and happening. And yet Jesus said, you're dead. You've gotten so comfortable that you've passed out and you've lost it. This is the perfect place for me to make the point to every person in this building. God saves no one to sit on their backsides. No one. 
God saves everyone and he creates his church and he puts us on mission. We are just like Paul. We're slaves, we're servants, we're bond servants. Sardis lost the concept. The, the confusion. Now I move to what I see next in the verse 2. I move to the call to the church. There's a call to the church. Please listen. You may be in the most comfortable position of your life spiritually, but Jesus will never leave you there. Look at the, look at the call in verse, go to verse 2. Now I could just read it here. I could tell you some, some other things. The King James says, be watchful. Another translation says, be thou watchful. Another translation says, wake up. My translation says, be alert. And Peterson's transliteration of the Bible says, up on your feet. You see, folks, this is a call to all. He called this church. He's calling us. The people of Sardis had sat down. They had admired their work of days past. And they were comfortable with what they had done. And Jesus says, wake up, get up. And look at this. If you go to verse 2, be alert and strengthen what remains. How do you strengthen it? You exercise it. If you don't exercise what God has given you, it's going to... It's going to die. You take this arm right. It's relatively healthy. My age. If I were to tie it down on my side, you know what would happen? In a month, it'd atrophy. And I'd have no use of it. I saw this firsthand with my dad. My dad had legs that were strong. For, four, for 35 years, he climbed poles for Pearl Valley with hooks. 30, 40, 50, 60 foot poles. Did it every day. His whole body was hard as a rock. When mom died, he went to his recliner and I literally watched my dad's legs atrophy where he spent his last two to three years in a wheelchair. You see, the truth is, is that Jesus is calling this church to be alert, to get up, to strengthen what is made. Work it out! Because if you don't, it's about to die on you. And here's why. It's the last phrase. For I have not found your works. That's what it says in Scripture. I have not found your works complete, my translation says. If you have the King James, it says probably says perfect. I've not found your works perfect. Another translation says I've not found your work perfected. Mine says I've not found your works complete. Another one says I've not found your works completed. And Jesus is saying to Sardis and he's saying to New Hope, Wake up, I'm not through with what I saved you to do and to be. Having said that, as I prayed through this, I knew in my heart, some people will hear and some people won't. Some people will respond and some people won't. And that brings us directly to the next thing we see in our Scripture, the correction. The correction needed by the church. Let's not forget all of these churches up here. That's people. That's you. That's me. That's us. The correction for the church is of necessity intended for the people who make up that body. Now, what is he talking about? What what are you talking about, Brother Jerry? The correction for the church. Well... Some of you, I got, I got a principal back here, got some teachers scattered around. You'll remember this. 
from years ago. The three R's of education. Oh, come on, y'all can do better than that. Reading, writing, arithmetic. Now, now Lucy just had a heart attack because it's arithmetic, and she is a she is one of those English people that wants it done right. But that's the way we said it for years: reading, writing, arithmetic. You see, the correction for the Christ follower, the correction for the church, are also three three R's. We we can go back to chapter two, probably verses three, four, five, right in there. Here they are, the three R's. Remember, repent, and return. Remember. I want to call everybody in this room right now to remember. You don't have to write anything down. I want you to remember. I want you to remember, I want you to remember the time you met Jesus. Hang on. Let me give you some, let me give you some side links here. I'm not asking you to recall the time you walked the aisle. I'm not asking you to remember the time that you were baptized. I'm not asking you to remember the time that you joined the church. I'm not asking you uh, the time that you had that bonfire experience I talked about last week. I'm asking you to recall the experience of meeting Jesus. I want you to think about what did you sense? I want you to think about the relief you felt. When you were forgiven of your sin and you knew it. I want you to think about the peace and joy that swept over you. I want you to think about the closeness to God that overwhelmed you. I want you to think about the security of that moment. That's what Jesus is saying here when he says in verse 3, remember. Remember what you have Received. Well, Pastor, it didn't happen for me like that. Oh, brothers and sisters, it didn't happen for you just like that. I beg you, come to Jesus today. Because what you have will not get you into heaven. It simply will not. For you see, for you see, Jesus, when Jesus comes into a life to take residence in your heart, the burdens of the past are lifted The shackles of sin are released. The prison doors of hell are open. And your life has been redeemed. That is something you will never forget. You may forget the date. You may forget the date you walked the aisle or got baptized or joined the church. You may forget those dates. But you will never forget the moment of life-changing, of life-altering, of life uh Giving experience, life saving. And if you can't remember that experience, I implore you, come to Jesus today before it's eternally too late. We hear of people dying every week that are not supposed to die, and they're gone and they have no more opportunity. This is your call today, right where you sit. Remember. If you can, if you can remember, and yet you know for sure 
that you've kind of replaced Jesus in your life for something else. You have to take the same action as the lost person does. Remember, the second word is repent. Repent, it means an about face. It's the same, what's this? It's the same for the lost person as it is for the left person. The lost person is a person that never trusted Christ. The left person who came to Jesus and walked away for some reason. I'm not talking about walked away from the church. I'm talking about walked away from Jesus. He's not a part of your life anymore. He calls us to repent. He calls us to turn around. I've done this enough. Other preachers have done this enough. Repentance is you're going this way, and you repent, and you turn, and you go back this way. It's an about face. You see, the truth is, is that if you've never trusted Christ, repent of your sin of unbelief. You can never trust Christ until you repent. And then when you repent, then place your faith and your trust in Him. Then invite Him into your life. Invite Him in to take control of your life. And to save you from your life of sin and save you to a life with Him. Perhaps there's somebody here who inadvertently has kicked Jesus to the curb, accidentally walked away. Repentance is for you. You see, the truth is repentance is the restoration and the revival of and in your life. And when you do this, remember you remember you repent. And then you return. If you're coming to Christ, if you're coming back to Christ, let me say it this way, if you're coming back to Christ, then you return into that place where you left. You return into those works that you did after He came into your life. The truth is, I've always thought this, if you're walking with Jesus and you go off the path, you have to about face and have to go back and reconnect with that path and start following again. It's repentance of sin. It's repentance of bad attitudes. It's easy to kick Jesus off the throne of your life. He's calling you to come back. If you've never prayed to receive Christ and you need to trust Christ, you're going to return to the God who created you, to the relationship that He created you for. And you return to Him so He can walk with you through this life. That's the correction that's needed. I would be like a preacher who is kind of Southern Baptist pinata if I didn't tell you this next thing that's in this message, and that is the consequence. The consequences for the church. If they don't do something, I, of course, you, you know this because you're smart people. The consequences, the consequence can be good or bad. Runners will run and win, and the consequence is they wind up on the center platform. They wind up with a trophy. Probably the down part is some of them don't like to be in front of everybody. They just, they just want to win. The consequence of returning of not returning to God. The consequence of not making that about face is sobering and staggering. 
Because it says, if you're not alert, you don't return. I will come like a thief. And you have no idea what time I'll come. Have you ever gotten in trouble with your dad? And you knew what was coming? And you didn't know when. How many of us tried to be on our best behavior so maybe we could change the outcome? That's exactly what he's saying. The truth is, Jesus is coming. You're going to stand face to face with the one whose hands were nail pierced, who wore the crown of thorns, whose side was opened. Who spent three days in the ground. You're going to stand face to face with him. And what are you going to say? Is the consequence going to be that you never trusted him? You never walked with him? Or is the consequence going to be that you walked with him and it's good? Now that... I, when I sent this to bed, I thought that ended it. But I'm going to give you one bonus. You just have to, If you're writing, you're going to have to write it down there. Because there's one more thing here that you need to see and we're done. And that's the comfort offered to the church. I point your attention to verses 4 and 5. Watch this. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes. And they will walk with me in white purity. Because they are worthy. In the same way, the one who conquers, the one who overcomes, will be dressed in white clothes, purity. And I will never erase his name from the book of life. But I will acknowledge him, his name, before the Father and before the angels. To read those two verses is to clearly understand that God offers comfort to the faithful. Comfort to those who are awake, to those who rise up, to those who sell out to him. He offers comfort. He offers the white clothes. He offers to stand before God and proclaim their name. They didn't they weren't comfortable here, but they'll find comfort there. My mentor, Dr. Ted Trailer. Yes, I do hope we get him here one day to speak. You'll be blessed. Made this statement right after I surrendered to preach. He said the preacher's job is to comfort the hurting and to hurt the comfortable. You see, the the truth is, I ask this today, how about you? Are you simply comfortable with where you are? How has the study of this church impacted you? If I spoke about remembering, you remembered that you never trusted Christ. I pray that today is today. If when I talked about remembering, if you remember that you had trusted Christ, I pray that now will be the time that you'll respond. If God's spoken to you, don't put it off. Repent today. Return to Jesus today. Because see, listen, He's still the Lord of life. He's still the Lord of glory. Get up off your spiritual couch and awake from your spiritual sleep and be like Paul. 
Paul said in Romans, it's high time. I love that because my grandmother, north of Marion County, she used to say it's high. It's high time that you'll wake out of your sleep and seek the Lord. He, she, who has ears to hear, listen. He, she, who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to their church and by extension to your heart. Comfortable is a dangerous place to be. Let's pray together.